Hello and welcome to this episode of the Ottoman History Podcast with Dr. Jinita Kuric, who recently received her PhD at SOAS University of London. Today we'll be discussing Comrades on Hajj, Bosnian Hajj literature in the 20th century. Janita, today's discussion point is Comrades and Hajj. This title itself is is quite an interesting one, certainly something that we'll be exploring later on. I think we're going to be looking particularly at the post-Second World War period. Could you perhaps delineate to us the timeline, any important events that occur that will affect the Bosnian Hajj literature later on? If you look at the history of Hajj and the history of Hajj literature as well, uh, you can see that it closely follows transformative moments in, in, in Bosnian history uh, and maybe even wider history as well. So, for example, the first um, Hajj travelogues in Bosnian appear after the Ottomans leave Bosnia and after Bosnia is occupied by the Austro-Hungarians. That is when for example, one can trace a larger number of the material about Hajj in Bosnian language. Then later on, the 1930s, during the 1930s, you can we, you can see that there is a large, again, pro- proliferation of material on Hajj, again, connected to uh, development of uh, the, let's say, transporting system, but also the political circumstances in, in Bosnia or in, in Yugoslavia, uh, if we're looking at it uh, in, in a wider perspective, because in the 1930s, Bosnia was a part of the kingdom of, of Yugoslavia, and Bosnian Muslims, as seen from the um, Hajj narratives, which I was working on, are actually trying to find a spiritual, a kind of a spiritual authority they can rely on in the times where their political authority and political autonomy has been diminished. Another transformative moment in the history of Bosnian Hajj and Bosnian Hajj literature was definitely the uh, Second World War. And it is really telling that the first Hajj travelogues, which appear after the Second World War, appear in 1949 and in 1954. And uh, they so they appear in, in, a, in a very strictly delineated framework of the socialist slash communist Yugoslavia. And they, of course, appear, as we shall see, they appear with a very distinct reason. Uh, Some other transformative moments happen, again, with the transformation of of transport, uh, liberalization of print in the 1960s, uh, 1970s. And again, uh, finally, a very key moment for uh, the history of Bosnian Hajj literature was the war in uh, Bosnia, the aggression on Bosnia in 1992 to 1995, uh, where another uh, line of Hajj travelogues comes out and Hajj again becomes a symbol of something else. So your research is particularly based around Bosnian Hajj literature in the 20th century. But the geography you're looking at, the political entity that is present at the time, is Yugoslavia. 
It's uh, a time right after the Second World War where uh, we have political fragmentation in that geography. W- why are you specifically looking at uh, Bosnian Hajj literature? And could you perhaps frame the geopolitical environment at the time that is relevant to, to your research? So the travelogues I was looking at were the first travelogues, at least those known to me, uh, that were uh, written after the Second World War. And they were written by the same person, uh, Hasan Ljubuncic, in 1949 and in 1954. The reason why I'm calling it uh, Bosnian Hajj literature or Bosnian Hajj travelogues after the Second World War is simply because the author uh, himself was a Bosnian, but also B, um, he, at several points uh, throughout, especially his first travelogue, he mentions uh, Bosniaks or Bosnian Muslims, uh, which implies that that the first reading audience or the primary reading audience for him was Bosnian Muslims. Having said that, um, I need to clarify uh, the whole Bosnian slash Yugoslav determinant or um, attribute. Both travelogues were published in uh, the journal Glasnik, which was the official uh, journal of the Islamic community of Yugoslavia. And this journal, although it was published in Bosnian or Serbo-Croatian, as it was called, both journals were aimed at Muslim population in Yugoslavia, meaning also including Albanians and Turkish minorities. However, uh, the vast majority of the articles were, as I said, published in Serbo-Croatian or Bosnian. And also, although sometimes uh, some of the contributions to the journal were published in Albanian or in Turkish. In in a sense, although this is, of course, the idea which needs to be developed, uh, the politics of the journal was directed to educating the Muslim population and primarily Muslim population in Bosnia. And in that sense, perhaps uh, we can discern a certain kind of perhaps a patronizing relation or patronizing attitude towards the, um, let's say, other Muslim minorities in Yugoslavia. Although, as I as I emphasize, this needs to be looked at uh, in more detail. It also stems from the nineteen uh, from the earlier period when, for example, Muslim intellectuals uh, in Bosnia were writing about a so-called population from the south, meaning Albanians and Turkish uh, minorities, in a slightly patronizing way, claiming that uh, these populations uh, need uh, more help, more um, intellectual and religious help from uh, Bosnian Muslims. So in that way, I am calling these travelogues Bosnian Muslim Hajj travelogues because they were primarily uh, directed at uh, the Bosnian Muslim audience primarily or firstly because of the medium of language, which was uh, Bosnian or Serbo-Croatian. If we're to look at the 1949 travelogue first, what's the background uh, behind this travelogue? What is the transformative moment, particularly after the Second World War, that uh, influenced this first travelogue? I'd say that the first travelogue, the 1949 travelogue by Hasan Ljubuncic, is more important than the second one. There are multiple reasons for this. And to in order to explain it, uh, I need to um, talk a little bit more about the itinerary of, of the journey itself. So uh, Bosnian Muslim Hajis who went on a Hajj mission in 1949, 
they consider themselves to be uh, representatives of the Yugoslav state. Firstly, they met with religious and political dignitaries, not only in Mecca and Medina, but also uh, in Cairo and Beirut. Um, they managed to meet King Ibn Saud uh, when during the reception, Eid reception in, in, in Mecca. They also managed to meet with um, heir to the throne. They, they were bragging, in, in a sense, they were bragging about their own political connections uh, with uh, this part of the world. And it can it can be looked uh, in isolation but i think it's more important if we connect it to the broader political events which shaped uh, this hajj mission so if we look a little bit broader uh, we can see that this hajj travelogue comes at a particularly critical period um after 1948 when the famous tito stalin split happened just to explain, uh, Tito-Stalin split happened uh, because of the diverging geopolitical interests uh, Tito and Stalin had, and it threatened to isolate Yugoslavia from the rest of the world. So in this particular moment, the socialist uh, slash communist uh, authorities were trying to find allies wherever they could. And in a sense, in all Malcolm's words, uh, Muslims became a valuable asset uh, for the Yugoslav state because of their perceived well-established connections with the Muslim world based on the religion and based on what was perceived to be similar um, elements of the culture. Uh, that's why this mission of Bosnian Muslims going on a Hajj to, uh, in, in 1949 uh, gets an, an additional um, value. On the other hand, we have to look at this Hajj uh, mission in another light as well. Although uh, Hajj mission was uh, supposed to present Bosnian Muslims or Yugoslav Muslims in a very positive light, uh, and it was supposed to, uh, let's say, demolish the stereotypes that Bosnians Muslims generally in Yugoslavia are not thriving, that they are being marginalized and that, that they are being pushed uh, on the side uh, by the um, communist government. So on the one hand, they tried to demolish this stereotype. On the other, this narrative serves another purpose. Uh, throughout the narrative, ever since the beginning of the narrative until the very end, uh, Hasan Ljubuncic is stressing how they're passing, for example, they're passing through Bosnia. They are seeing uh, buildings being, being built, factories being opened, people going to work. He seems to, to convey is uh, the image of a thriving community, thriving society. And he wants to, to show how uh, to his own uh, fellow Bosnian Muslims, how Muslims are actually living in prosperity under Tito. So there are like these two layers which are perfectly balanced in, in this travelogue. One is how uh, Yugoslav Muslims are not marginalized and they're trying to show this image to the ulema they're meeting on the way or the political dignitaries. On the other hand, uh, they are also trying to convey a message that because Bosnia is being rebuilt after the Second World War, because Bosnia is having factories, Bosnia is, and Bosnia meaning Bosnian Muslims, are also being prosperous under uh, this new government. So clearly these travelogues are of great relevance to us in, in understanding self-perception by these Bosnian Muslims. But who is Ljubuncic himself? Do we know anything more about him? 
We don't know that much about Hasan Lubuncic, um, apart from the fact that he was um, engaged in the people uh, people's liberation uh, struggle during the Second World War. And based on that, he uh, earned, in, in a sense, his um, prominent position in the post-Second World War um, Islamic community. And for a very long time, he was contributing, writing for the journal Glasnik with different types of articles with the obvious task of trying to, let's say, educate and enlighten the Bosnian Muslim population. And in a sense, what we can see through these two travelogues is that he was definitely a part of the government structure which sent him to Hajj and which gave him this prominent role of explaining the role of Bosnian Muslims or the role of Muslims in Yugoslavia to both external audiences and internal audiences. How does Rubuncic see the socialist modernist project and the Islamic modernist project, uh, as you've put it, existing together? Are they mutually compatible or are they exclusive? What's his interpretation of these two projects? For Lubuncic and majority of the authors after Lubuncic, Islamic modernity and socialist modernity are uh, absolutely compatible. And the way they are joined is through the concept of progress. So Lubuncic is constantly emphasizing the um, idea of progress, which for him presents uh, steering away from prejudices of the past, Going forwards, emphasis on hygiene, emphasis on material progress, the material advancement of technology, uh, which would then for Lubuncic lead to intellectual and even religious advancement. So this is a somewhat cliched version or cliched image of modernity, which other authors are going to accept with certain exceptions as well. So, for example, Jozo, uh, Hussein Jozo, who is uh, writing about different essays about Hajj uh, in the 1960s and 1970s, uh, will also take over this idea and will clearly emphasize that Islam and socialism are compatible because they both insist on the human improvement, on the improvement of, of a human being. But the interesting thing is that in this conception of modernity, uh, what is also emphasized, what is also necessarily emphasized is the role of the, let's say, enemy elements or elements which can come in in the way of uh, of progress. So um, in a sense, when people are looking at Hajj in this period, what they're looking at, uh, they're trying to see whether there are certain uh, remnants of, let's say, Sufi customs or, or older traditions in a way to criticize that. So what is always necessarily joined with the concept of progress is the concept of stagnation, which for Bosnian Muslim authors uh, has always been depicted as mysticism, prejudice, uh, stagnation, something which is keeping them keeping them down and is always connected to the pre-Second World War history. We've talked about these travelogues being a depiction of Muslims in Yugoslavia to the external 
uh, audience, but also being uh, a depiction of, if you like, the, the, the wider Muslim world, I suppose, to Yugoslav Muslims or to, to, to Bosnians. We also talked about how these travelogues de- depicted the physical travel to and from the Hajj. And you mentioned that the return journey would be a land journey through the Republic of Turkey. There were descriptions of uh, the Turkish Republic by Ljubuncic that you referred to in your research. What, uh, what are his observations? What are the implications of the inclusion of the uh, experience of Turkish populations within the Republic of Turkey to this narrative of the wider Muslim world to the local Yugoslav Muslims? Although Ljubuncic and the authors after him stressed uh, this concept of of progress, which I've mentioned, and this concept of progress uh, emphasized novelty and and constant uh, constant, uh, starting from the new point, uh, cutting off uh, connections to the past, actually they cannot cannot escape their own past or connections with the past. They are trying to find the connections between uh, themselves and these people who are now in the Middle East or in Turkey. So there is this constant comparison of what these people were and how these people are found now in, in for example, the Republic of uh, the Republic of, of Turkey. So when Lubuncic passes through Turkey and when he goes and sees Bosnian Muslim population living there, Muhajirs, he is always trying to depict them in in an almost ethnographic way. So, for example, he's saying that there are three groups of Bosniaks uh, living in Turkey. The first group is not integrated. They still pine for Bosnia. They want to come back to Bosnia. The second group is in a way integrated uh, because they learn the language, they participate in the activities, they participate in education and they work. However, they do feel connected to Bosnia as well. And thirdly, uh, the third group, which for Ljubuncic was uh, very interesting, is the group which is completely assimilated into the Turkish society. And this group is the one which, for example, stands up when the Turkish national anthem is on. He simply describes it. It is obvious that he wants to connect with these people. And there was a certain task behind why he visited Bosnian populations in, in even in Adapazar, which was off Hajj route or Hajj return route. There is an obvious reason why he visited them. Also, uh, Lubuncic does not comment too much on why these people are uh, now in the position they are in. So looking at the relations between Bosnian Muslims with first of all, Bosnian Muhajirs in Turkey, and then later on with uh, the wider Muslim world. I think what we could explore here is how, as I said, Hajj already brought certain ambivalences for the Bosnian Muslims in the sense that they are seeing their own image with uh, the populations they meet. They also uh, formulate their own opinions on the wider Muslim world. And in this travelogue, uh, but this is not the first time it happens. Uh, in this travelogue, what we could see is the development of the discourse of uh, Bosnian distinctiveness. So Bosnian Hajis are presenting themselves as European Muslims on Hajj uh, throughout the narratives in 1949-1954, but also later on. And of course, this topic of Bosnian distinctiveness 
is not only going to be developed later on, but is also firmly established in the concept of Europe. So Bosnian Muslims, even those who traveled after the Second World War with the like all this decolonial rhetoric, are still seeing themselves clearly distinct from other Muslim populations. So there there are certain ambivalences in, in Hajj literature of mid-20th century where uh, the authors are clearly seeing themselves in a way connected to the Muslim world. There are muhajirs in Turkey, there are muhajirs in, in the Middle East. There are all these people they're meeting in, in, in Mecca and Medina who love them and, and who express their love for them. But at the same time, Bosnian Muslims are seeing certain kind of difference from them because they look different, because they have different, uh, as they say, uh, different concepts of hygiene and different concepts of, of uh, living. Going back to Lubunčić's descriptions of the Muhajirs in the Republic of Turkey, how does he view them in comparison to the Muslims of Yugoslavia? Um, Lubunčić's attitude towards Turkey in general is very ambivalent, again, like everything else, like the, his very attitude towards Hajj. So Lubunčić sees Turkey as both the place of modernity place which is on uh, how he perceives it to be a right path of modernity. So people are no longer wearing obsolete clothes. He is emphasizing the issue of clothes and clothing. Uh, he's emphasizing the issue of female education. But at the same time, there is a certain feeling of superiority over the Turkish Muslims, especially in regards to certain uh, rituals, uh, which, as he puts it, Yugoslav Muslims are free to do, but Turkish Muslims are not free to observe or, or do. So, for example, uh, there is the question of the Turkish azan or the azan in, in, in Turkish language, which for him is a proof that Muslims in Turkey are in a way downtrodden. But since Muslims in Yugoslavia still can perform azan in Arabic, for him, uh, it is a clear proof that under Tito, Yugoslav Muslims, Bosnian Muslims are thriving. So azan is is definitely one of the issues of ambivalence towards Turkey for Lubuncic. In Lubuncic's travelogues, you've noted in your research something that you describe as an Ottoman ghost. What is that? How do we observe it in his travelogues? And what does it mean to the Yugoslav Muslims' perception of uh, the Turkish Republic or the Hejaz or the Eastern Mediterranean region in general? Unlike the Islamic tradition and Islamic past, which Lubuncic is mentioning in very firm terms, his attitude towards, let's say, Ottoman past is quite subdued in a way. He never mentions the the role which Ottomans exerted on modern history in, in very explicit terms. He mentions the Ottoman influence on architecture and on certain customs, such as, for example, the customs of bringing the Dalil from Hijaz to Bosnia and then the Dalil who uh, would help Bosnian uh, Hajis to go on Hajj. So he does mention certain customs which existed during the Ottoman times. But I think that his attitude towards the Ottoman past can be seen mostly in his attitude towards the borders. So Ljubuncic is unquestionably accepting the borders which exist now, borders with Turkey borders with borders existing in the Middle East. However, although for him the borders are there and they are, you know, something to be crossed, something to be dealt with, and 
he and his hajis have lots of problems uh, crossing over these borders because of passports and monetary politics. Uh, at the same time, Ljubuncic is obsessively looking to find links with population that lived in Bosnia during the Ottoman times, namely with Muhajir, Muhajir community. So regardless whether they are going to to Turkey or to Damascus or Cairo, uh, Ljubuncic is actively trying to seek people who left uh, Bosnia before or during the Ottoman uh, withdrawal. So in a sense, there is this eagerness to connect himself to a population which uh, left Bosnia, let's say, 50 years ago or 70 years ago, and to talk to them and to see what their relation to their joint past is. Uh, so in a sense, this zeal to, to speak with people who left Bosnia um, 70 years uh, ago is quite different from uh, Ljubuncic's attitude towards, say, other Muslims uh, who he encounters in, in, uh, during Hajj, and it is not that deep. So the links with the populations which left Bosnia during the Ottoman times or uh, immediately after the Ottoman withdrawal uh, are something which uh, I termed uh, the Ottoman ghost because it expresses the desire to to address these deep ruptures which happened uh, with the on the eve of the 20th century. So is Lubuncic's hesitation to explicitly refer to the Ottoman past, the Ottoman history, something to do with this self-identification of what it is to be a Yugoslav Muslim? An extract you have in your work where you take a description that Lubuncic uses, that uses the terminology of crusaders, or of crusading. How can we take these two positions and interpret the self-identification of these Yugoslav Muslims? So there are so many things to unpick here. Um, so basically, the history of the 20th century up to, the, say, like 1949, when Ljubuncic is writing uh, the, the travelogue, has been so turbulent that the suppression of the Ottoman history is just one aspect of, of it all. So what Ljubuncic is actually doing in the excerpt you, you've uh, just described is he is describing the atrocities which were committed committed against uh, Bosnian Muslims in the Second World War uh, by the Chetniks. And he is using the imagery of the Crusade Wars to say that Muslims were ultimately victims in during these atrocities and how Tito, by Tito's intervention, Muslims will no longer have to go through the same massacres or they will they they would no longer be marginalized again we can go back to the question of what europe means for bosnian muslims in this respect because as i've already said lubuncic mentions the image of the european muslim which is the, a bosnian or yugoslav muslim but at the same time he is using the evoking the imagery of the crusades to criticize what happened during the Second World War, w the atrocities which were committed against the Bosnian Muslims. So in a sense, Europe for Ljubuncic is a mixed bag. And it is a trend which will go on through the 20th century. Uh, it is a mixed bag. Europe for Bosnian Muslims means certain type of hygiene or certain certain type of a lifestyle or maybe even uh, the skin color. But at the same time, certain aspects of the European past, such as crusades, 
are being violently rejected. And I think this tension can be seen, especially in, in, in this uh, excerpt which you've described. With a view of Ginny to starting to wrap up this, this really interesting conversation, these travelogues written uh, in the 40s and in the 50s certainly present us the problematic triangle as you've identified it of identity, state and religion and is really enlightening for us to view how these Yugoslav or Bosnian Muslims saw themselves and try to project themselves to the outside world. What other examples of travelogues do we have written at this time? Are travelogues written by perhaps other strata of society that might be of interest? Are there any travelogues written by women? Are there any other travelogues written by people who had perhaps less of a, a clear agenda or a past or a link with the communist regime? In the 1960s, uh, with the larger number of people going on Hajj by buses, and in the 1980s with the ushering of the Jet Age pilgrimage for Bosnian Muslims, more and more people went on Hajj and more and more people, of course, wrote about Hajj. Also, in the 1970s, there has been an increase in different journals where Bosnian Muslims could publish their impressions, their religious impressions. So what we do see from the, 1960s, from the 1960s onwards is a large number of Hajj travelogues, which definitely do not share the same ideological underpinnings or ideological orientations, such as uh, Hasan Ljubuncic's. So, for example, in the 1960s, we already have some Sufi narratives or Sufi travelogues where different types of connectivities are emphasized and uh, Yugoslav connection is not no longer the primary connection for these authors. And there is definitely a comeback of, as I said, Sufi narrative where the authors are more keen on trying to find the places of the ziyarat than being... Uh, interested in uh, political aspects of, of, of their Hajj journey. Also, in the uh, 1970s, what we encounter are the first uh, Hajj travelogues written by women. Uh, I have to say that uh, some of these travelogues were heavily edited by men. And in the 1980s, of course, the uh, democratization of print uh, brings even more travelogues to the, to the front. However, what is really interesting when it comes to the female travelogues is that only recently there has been a trend to publish these travelogues. So, for example, you would have a female haji who went on a hajj in 1980s, but her grandchildren would publish uh, the travelogue today, which again speaks about the changing readerships and changing reading audiences. And also uh, it speaks something about the changing authorships uh, or changing concepts of authorship. So in, in a sense, one we, could, we can see that uh, the female uh, travelogues have gone through the phase where uh, even like a small short travelogue would be heavily edited by men in the 1970s to, let's say, 2015 or 2016, where people were keen on trying to find their grandma's travel accounts and publish them uh, without disturbing, without distorting the material. So I believe that there is plenty of research to be done in future. And I am planning on looking at the aspect of race more closely uh, when it comes to Bosnian Muslim dealings with Hajj. So if I could end by saying that Hajj itself amplified and exacerbated anxieties and ambivalences felt by Muslims across the world and um, Hajj literature 
presented a mirror image to an often problematic triangle of identity, state and religion. Jenny Tate, it's been a brilliant discussion that can certainly go on for more time, but for this episode, we'll have to end it there. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much for having me. If you'd like to find out more on this topic, head to our website, ottomanhistorypodcast.com, where there will be a relevant bibliography on the topic discussed today. Do follow us on our Facebook group as well. I'm Tyler Ngingur. Thank you for listening. Oh,